Well, good morning. It's always a little intimidating and uh, joyful at the same time to be preaching uh, in this chapel. Um, I went to school here. I know the history of what took place and what has taken place in this chapel and continues to take place in this chapel over the years. And uh, it is my privilege and my honor to be here. And thank you, Jessica, for the invitation. She keeps asking me back, so I guess I haven't messed up enough yet to, uh, to uh, you know, keep that, uh, that invitation from coming. But, uh, but it is a privilege, and I'm very happy to be with all of you this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word to us. I thank you, Lord, that this is your living word. Lord, that these words are not simply just letters on pages, but they are your word to us today. So, Lord, I just pray that through my weakness, you would speak. Lord, that through my feeble attempts to bring your word today, Lord, that you would appear. We know you're here. And Lord, I just ask that you would move. Move in my heart. Move in the hearts of these who are gathered here today. And I just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, as I was preparing this message, one of the things that kept, I've kind of been wrestling with this text actually for, for a while, and one of the things that kept coming up over and over again in my mind, especially you read First Timothy or Second Timothy through, you think about all the changes and all the challenges and all the things that are going on with Paul and Timothy and all those uh, disciples. And sometimes when I then reflect on our world and I start thinking about what's going on around us, I struggle with all the changes that are going on. Maybe I'm just becoming my dad, you know, I'm just, <laughs> you know, those commercials where, you know, you're becoming your parents. Maybe, I, maybe that's it. I don't know. I'm getting older. So, because um, the world I grew up in, we still had rotary phones. I mean, you had to like, it took a, t- a while to dial somebody's number and now you just hit, you know, a button on your phone. Uh, we had cars with no seat belts. I mean, I sat in the middle front seat on the armrest, you know. I mean, people today would think we were insane. You know, there was no internet. We had black and white TV when I was a kid. Uh, I guess I better stop before I date myself too much. Um, but change does seem to be happening, and it seems to be accelerating, especially over the last few years. Um, you know what I mean. You know, you get your smartphone and you know, then there's an update and everything you knew how to do the week before you can't do anymore. I don't know. It's, it's just crazy. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I'm actually a little bit of a technology geek, for those of you who know me pretty well. And I always like to have the latest updates and the latest, you know, things. Um, but I have to admit that sometimes those things come with a price. Um, so I guess I like the novelty of change, if I have to confess, but not necessarily the result. And while all this technological change may be happening in our world, there's a lot of change happening to our culture as well. Our world is changing. Our world is shrinking. And technology, I think, is, is, a, is contributing to that shrinkage. Now, I'm not saying this is all bad, that change is bad necessarily. Uh, there have some, been some really wonderful things, wonderful changes that have happened in our world. But there's also some negative changes. Regardless, change is something that we are dealing with. And I believe, in my reflection and in my observation, it seems to be coming at us at an accelerated rate. But then when we look at history, then we look back, we realize this really isn't anything new. Every generation seems to have dealt 
with this accelerating type of change. Perhaps the pace has quickened, but every generation has had its share of monumental changes and challenges. This year we celebrate an historic moment of change. Um, I'm not only a technology geek, I'm a little bit of a space geek as well. Uh, I love, I grew, I grew up, you know, admiring astronauts. They were my heroes. In fact, I wanted to be an astronaut at one point. Uh, that's, that's what I wanted to grow up to be. And, uh, and so I just, I, I always, those milestones of space exploration are something that always really hit me. This year, on July 20th, we will celebrate 50 years since the first two human beings set foot on the moon. And I actually have, this just shows you how much of a geek I am. This is a space pen. Um, this, is a, this is a replica of the actual kind of pen they took to the moon. Because in space, you know, ink, there's no gravity in space, so they couldn't write. But these are pressurized perfectly so that they will write underwater, you know, in zero gravity. I've never tested it because I've never been in zero gravity, but supposedly it works. Um, but it reminds me of that historic moment on July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin took those first steps on the moon. First human beings to set foot on any planetary body outside of Earth. In the span of one day, think of this, in the span of one day, in, in a moment, we went from a world where no one had ventured from the earth to where two human beings had set foot on another world, a world where space exploration was a reality. Now, what you may not know, unless you're like me and you study these things and you're a geek, uh, this moment of historical change would not have been possible without what had happened just six months earlier, when the crew of Apollo 8 became the first human beings to orbit the moon and return. Apollo 11 or any of the other moon missions would have been possible without the breakthroughs of that mission. But to me, and this always gives me chills, to me, the highlight of that mission was not its technological achievements, but rather on Christmas Eve, 1968, the crew of Apollo 8 did something extraordinary. That evening, the three astronauts, Commander Frank Borman, Command Module Pilot Jim Lovell, and Lunar, pilot, Lunar Module Pilot William Anders, did a live TV broadcast from lunar orbit. They showed pictures of the Earth, the first pictures human beings had ever seen from that vantage point. They showed pictures of the moon, and Lovell said, the vast loneliness is awe-inspiring, and it makes you realize what we have back there on Earth. The three astronauts had been allowed by NASA, unbeknownst to the TV audience, to choose what message they would bring during the broadcast, and this is what they chose to share. For all the people on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message we would like to send you. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, 
and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Borman then added, from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with a good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you, on the good earth. Robert Curson, an historian, writing about this historic Apollo 8 mission, declared that Apollo 8 saved the year 1968. Now, either whether you recall from history or memory, 1968 was not the best year, and not just because I was born that year. It was a year of monumental changes and challenges. The Vietnam War was raging on. Student protests were happening around the world. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King was assassinated. The brother of John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, was assassinated. That's just to name a few. It was not a good year. But for a moment, for a moment at the end of that year on Christmas Eve, the focus of the world shifted. Now, it wasn't easy getting to Apollo 8, much less the moon landing. It took over 400,000 people working tirelessly to get to that moment. It was not easy to get there, but I believe the triumph of Apollo 8 seemed to overshadow just for a moment, just for a little while, all the negative things from that year. And I think part of the reason was that in the midst of that historic mission, three astronauts took the opportunity on Christmas Eve to remember that humanity was not alone And we were not destined to drift aimlessly towards some unknown future, but that God was with us from the beginning of the world and would continue to be with us. That message of good news so impacted the world that year that Time magazine, which had decided the person of the year that year was going to be, quote, the dissenter, changed at the last minute and changed it to the crew of Apollo 8. Now, we may live in this rapidly changing, crazy world, and we may not be able to predict seismic shifts in our culture, especially in a day when things seem to be happening happening more and more rapidly. However, I believe as disciples of Jesus, we are called to be ready to share his good news, whether we have an opportunity or not. Paul writes 2 Timothy while he is imprisoned in Rome probably awaiting execution. And he really wants Timothy to join him before it's too late. As Paul does, Paul begins his letter with thanksgiving. Um, He's not really telling Timothy anything new, but really reminding Timothy of some important things that he wants him to remember. He gives thanks for Timothy and for Timothy's faith, his foundation of faith, for his grandmother and his mother, that legacy 
Paul reminds Timothy that he's got to stand firm in the face of suffering and opposition, that it's going to come. Opposition's going to come. Hardship is going to come. Suffering's going to come. But you have to stand firm in the good news of Jesus. And you have to remind others of the good news and avoid meaningless conversations. This is an important treasure you have. You've got to share it with the world. Paul reminds Timothy that the gospel of Jesus is true and it needs to be told. And he encourages Timothy to remind others of that good news. Paul reminds Timothy that followers of Jesus are to pursue holiness and that a holy people then will be ready to do God's work. Paul reminds Timothy that the kind of life that characterizes the Lord's servants is in contrast to those they might see around them in the culture and perhaps even in the church. Paul also reminds Timothy that, a holy, and, that holy and righteous living does not lead to a life of ease but rather one of hardship and persecution and suffering. And he calls Timothy to continue to be faithful and persistent. And then we come to our passage that was read today. A passage where Paul exhorts and reminds Timothy to be persistent in preaching the good news and forming others as disciples. I charge you, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. Paul and Timothy are facing challenges, imprisonment, opponents, evil. And Paul reminds Timothy that he will suffer for the gospel, but that he has to keep moving on. Friends, I think we are living in the last days. Now, I'm not going to make some grand prediction. Um, That's not what I'm saying. What I mean is Jesus... And we're going to say it today in our liturgy. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and he's coming back. We're in the last days. And while we wait for his return, we can expect challenges. We can expect opposition. We can expect hardship. And Paul was making sure that Timothy was prepared to face those challenges that were before him. But most of all, Paul reminds Timothy of his primary responsibility. Preach the word. Preach. Now, does this mean Paul is urging Timothy to beat people over the head with the Bible? No. In fact, if you look back at chapter 2, verse 24, Paul reminds Timothy that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So there's this tension that Paul is saying between the bold preaching of the gospel and loving and respecting and honoring others. 
Paul's reminding Timothy that whatever the circumstances, whatever the challenges or opportunities, whatever changes may be happening around him, his job as a disciple is to continue to preach, to share the good news with anyone who will hear it. In spite of all the changes, in spite of all the challenges, Paul and Timothy found a way to share the gospel. I have another show and tell. Now, I can't prove this, but when I was given this brick, I was told this is a brick from Bethel Academy. Now, you may not know what Bethel Academy is unless you've read the plaque that's out here on North Lexington Avenue. Um, This sits on my shelf next to my collection of Methodist disciplines that was given to me by Ken Kinghorn. Uh, I'm a history geek, too, so I'm just a geek all around. Um, This brick comes from Bethel Academy. It was the first Methodist school in the United States west of the Appalachian Mountains, established by Francis Asbury in 1790 on the banks of the Kentucky River about, well, just a few miles generally in that direction. From those roots sprang Asbury College in 1890 and Asbury Seminary in 1923. You might look at this brick and you might see it on my shelf. You might think, well, that's just an old brick. It doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, it came from a building that had some historical significance, but it doesn't really mean anything. But to me, that brick is a reminder. It's a reminder of the faithfulness and the zeal of people like Francis Asbury. Francis Asbury, as he worked to spread scriptural holiness across the land, and a reminder of the subsequent faithfulness of John Wesley Hughes, who founded Asbury College, and Henry Clay Morrison, who founded Asbury Seminary. And on and on and on down the line. And perhaps in our Methodist Wesleyan history, I know not all of us are Methodist, but in this stream of Wesleyanism that that Asbury is a part, Perhaps we have no greater example of following Paul's advice to Timothy than in Francis Asbury. Asbury's zeal for God and his commitment to preach and teach the gospel is now legendary. But friends, it was never meant to be extraordinary. It was meant to be the ordinary work of every Christian. While never compromising on preaching the gospel, Asbury didn't try to fit English Methodism into the American frontier, but rather found ways to make the good news communicate in a wild, untamed new country. Whether through camp meetings or emotional worship, Asbury worked within the tension between the dominant culture around him and the gospel. And he preached. He preached. Asbury found a way to share the gospel in spite of the changing American landscape and the challenges that it brought. In spite of all the challenges, in spite of all the changes, in opportune times and times that aren't so opportune, disciples of Jesus through the ages have found a way to share the gospel, to continue to preach, continue to share the gospel the good news. I'm here today because of a train of people who were willing to share the gospel, whether the time was opportune or not, whether it was in season or out of season, they shared the gospel. I'm reminded of my pastor when I was about 12 years old and going through confirmation, Charlie Lankford. 
Charlie's a graduate of this institution, a graduate of Asbury Seminary. And when I thought of that, I didn't think about that until this week. I realized from Francis Asbury to Charlie Lankford to me, what a legacy. What a testimony of faithfulness to preach the gospel in season and out of season. Yes, friends, our world is changing. And sometimes it seems absolutely out of control and crazy. But this isn't the first time. <laughs> it won't be the last until Jesus comes. Our job is simply to preach, to share the gospel with anyone who will hear it, with anyone who will listen. We may have great opportunities in our lifetime to share the gospel, or as John Wesley said about this passage, even when there is none, one must be made. Even when there is none, one must be made. Be ready, friends. Be ready. Share the gospel in season and out of season, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, whether there is an opportunity or whether you have to make one. Share the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, that we might have, might have new life. We might have life, life to the fullest. When you come to the table this morning, I invite you to think about that. Think about the opportunities that, or the lack of opportunity, but the faithfulness of those who preach the gospel before you. For those who were faithful to share the good news so that you might know Jesus. And reflect on how you, just like Timothy, continue to, can continue to preach no matter what we might face, no matter what challenges there might be, that we can be faithful, proclaimers of the word. That's my prayer for you today. And as you come to this table, remember, Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again, and he's coming back. And in the meantime, all we have to do is preach. God bless you. Amen.